Hi, this is Terry Farrell, and you are listening to Women at Warp. And welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jara, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have crew members Sue. Hi, everybody. And Grace. Hey, everybody. And we also have a very special guest from the one of the other amazing Roddenberry podcasts, Priority One, and that's Kenna. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. You actually suggested this topic, which we're pretty excited about, uh, which is that we're going to talk about quote unquote unlikable women in Star Trek. Yeah. Which is a likable topic. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Um, yeah, so we'll get a little bit more into that, but we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. So first, our show is supported entirely by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome as awesome rewards from thanks on social media to silly watch along commentaries. We just finished one on the Naked Now. It is a doozy. <laughs> yes. That's the TNG one. We feel strange, but also good. Mm-hmm. You can just uh, visit patreon.com slash women at warp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash women at warp and hop on over there and support our show. Thanks so much. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And that just helps people discover us. So thanks for everyone who's done that so far. And if you haven't, hop on over to where you get your podcasts and tell people what you think. Other housekeeping Uh, Sue, do you want to talk about our plans for Discovery? Yes, it's a question that we've been getting a lot, obviously, is what we're going to do about Discovery. We are not going to be discussing Discovery episodes as they air on the podcast. We're going to wait until all of Season 1 has aired, and then we'll do a season overview, sort of like we've done with some other series like DS9, and I think we did one for Voyager, yes? Yes. Mm -hmm. So that's the plan. So sometime in the spring, we'll be doing that Season 1 of Discovery But Andy will be recapping Discovery episodes on Monday mornings as the shows air. So if you'd like to get those recaps, those will be on the Women at Warp blog, womenatwarp.com slash blog. And uh, we're hoping to also review some of the tie-in media, such as the books and comics. So that will be on the blog as well. Awesome. And there's also a couple more conventions left. Want to talk about those? Well, Grace, you're heading to Geek Girl Con, right? I am. I'm afraid I won't be paneling this year, but I will be there to mingle and mix. And I will be at New York Comic Con. I think they're either the same weekend or back-to-back weekends. I also will not be paneling technically at New York Comic Con, but I will be uh, Star Warsing it up with Saber Guild and Rebel Legion. So, Well, watch out for our Twitter during those cons, and uh, if you're not there in person, you can also follow along with what we're getting up to. So that's great. All right. So let's talk unlikable women. Um, so Kenna, can I start with you about, um, why you suggested this topic? It's an idea that I've been kind of kicking around for a while and it was probably uh, based on, I was listening to old mission logs and old women at warps talking about Pulaski and it started with Pulaski really. I didn't like her, <laughs> um, originally, you know, way back when. And it's funny because as an older woman now, I find an appreciation for her. And I kind of started thinking about the idea of the fact that, you know, lots and lots of people don't like her. And actually, uh, women of my age now sort of uh, seem to be coming to a consensus that actually she's kind of all right. But it got it. Me personally, I struggle with this whole um, requirement, I guess, societal requirement that women are likable. And I especially started thinking about it last year with the presidential election here in the States and how much likability is a requirement for women in a lot of different places. And then I started thinking about when do we actually see women who are not likable and like boldly not likable? Um, and uh, we can get a little bit more in, into the definition of what I mean by that in a bit. But I just I wanted to talk to other women about what that meant to them and also like how it affects them in, in real life and what we'd like to see you know, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when, um, you know, when you suggested the topic to us, um, certainly the first characters that came into my mind for, as ones that are commonly labeled unlikable are Pulaski and Keiko. And we're going to mm-hmm. talk about both of those. Yeah. But yeah, um, th- we also talked a bit about this with Janeway, too, that in terms of that pressure to be likable, that 
um, you know, people were worried that if she was, you know, too emotional, that she would be perceived as not competent. But um, there was a particular concern that if she was too hard or tough, that she would be seen as, like, basically a bitch. Mm -hmm. Oh, the worst possible thing you can be, (laughs) as we all well know, as opinionated ladies. Well, yeah, but for a, for a leading woman in a, um, traditionally sort of male-led franchise, that's a totally valid concern that if the men who are watching the show, because obviously only men like Star Trek, right. um, that if they don't like her, they won't watch it. Yeah. Um, which I think there probably, there might be some merit to, you know, because of society, but, um, I also think is kind of a weak excuse. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it can result in, in characters that are, I think, like a little bit one-sided because mm-hmm. um, you actually came across an interesting BuzzFeed article by Roxane Gay, who's awesome, and um, it's called Not Here to Make Friends, and it's about unlikable women in literature. And yeah. um, she says that in many ways, likability is a very elaborate lie, a performance, a code of conduct dictating the proper way to be, and characters who d- don't follow this code become unlikable. So basically saying that the problem is critics who are uncomfortable with people who flout societal norms and therefore label those characters unlikable rather than trying to understand them or just, you know, view them more neutrally, I guess. Yeah. Can I, um, can we talk a little bit about what the actual definition or at least, sure. at least what I consider the definition of unlikable to yeah. be? Because I started thinking about what qualifies somebody as unlikable versus just like mean. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and for me, um, what qualifies a, a female protagonist, I'm talking about protagonists. Obviously, if, it, if, it, if a woman is, or the character is meant to be a villain. Of course, you're not meant to like her, but that's that's a different thing. Um, so for me, an a an unlikable protagonist woman would be somebody who is not a villain. So they're on, they're the good guys. Um, and then you'd have to be avoiding the trope that there's a reason that she's unlikable, like like you find out halfway through the series that she was abused by a child. So that's why she Mm -hmm. acts like a bitch to everyone. Or um, she had a really bad relationship. So that's why she's mean to men or something like that. Um, Like there, there has to, it's like a trope that there has to be an excuse for her being gruff and rude and all of that. Um, And then the other thing is um, somebody who's, who's being used as part of a redemption arc. Mm-hmm. So they start off unlikable, but by the end of whatever arc you're telling, they, they're they cured or they're redeemed and then they're likable by the end. So so those three things are not what I'm talking about when I'm saying unlikable. I just mean people who just are. It's just they're by virtue of the way they are. People mm-hmm. don't like them. Um, for me, Pulaski is an archetype of that because she was kind of gruff. She was kind of rude. Um, she didn't get on that well with the other members uh, of, the, of the crew. But she was still well respected and she still had her place and she still, she was a female protagonist that was unlikable. So that's that's kind of where I'm coming from on it. Yeah, like she didn't get any, she didn't really change. She got like slightly nicer toward Data, but she didn't really change fundamentally um, in terms of like, you know, she did something wrong and needed to be redeemed. And she yeah. also didn't have a particular reason for being particularly gruff. Yeah, she so. just was the way she was. Yeah. Um, somebody actually, um, Jerry, you might have uh, mentioned this earlier. Is the, is the critique... Is the critique of being unlikable, is that a, a gendered critique? Which I think is a really interesting question, because I started thinking on the other side of of men who are unlikable, and would yeah. you call them unlikable? And um, because we were talking about Pulaski, in a lot of ways, she's the mirror image of Bones. They're mm-hmm. very similar. They're kind of gruff, kind of grumpy really technically skilled and an important part of the crew. Yet Bones was kind of like, I mean, totally beloved. And Pulaski was like, everyone hated her, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And in that way, it's kind of a double standard. Supposedly, there was intent for her to be kind of like a female version of Bones. And we really do in uh, a lot of media. But in TV, it's very prevalent. We see male characters who are um, 
downright nasty to other people, people who are hostile, rude, talk down to other people. I'm thinking of house right now, honestly. But, yes, mm-hmm. house is a good example. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, we are no giving kidding. the sort of explanation of, but he's a genius. So really, we can't just stand in his way and let him not be a genius. We don't really have a female equivalent of that on TV. We are taught that if a, uh, a woman is any of those things, that is a big debilitator for her and that, that she is flawed beyond uh, our ability to see her as a protagonist. Right. I mean, we're socialized for women to be demure and soft-spoken and follow rules and not talk back and not assert themselves. And I mean, it's that's diminishing, but it is still definitely there. And beyond that, we are given this idea that guys are allowed to be rough. Guys are allowed to be rough around the edges. They are allowed to be anti-heroes. Women, if they are flawed, are just irredeemable. So I think a lot of the unlikable women that we find in media are women who have traditionally masculine traits. Mm Mm-hmm. In that sense. But I mean, this applies not only to media or but like, Kenna, you brought up the, the recent election. But this is at least for me, this is in our day to day lives, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've really struggled with that in the past, you know, uh, where I've held positions of authority in different companies. And it was made very clear by uh, usually a male superior Mm -hmm. that for whatever reason I needed to be more um, emotionally compatible with whoever. Mm -hmm. And um, I've generally heard softer. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or I need to take people's feelings more into account or which to be fair. Okay. That's fine. I'm quite happy to do that. But it, it, I feel in a tremendous amount of pressure to be likable in my position of authority, that I have to be friends or get along with very carefully with the people that I work with. By contrast, I've had some really awful male colleagues Mm -hmm. that don't seem to be under the same pressure. Now, I'm not in the boardroom with them. I'm not in their, you know, their team meetings or whatever, or their um, performance meetings. So I can't speak to that. But I feel as though uh, there's a lot of pressure on me as a professional woman to be presented as a likable person. There's a very fine line, it seems, between being assertive and competent and being a bossy bitch, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all kinds of like gendered language that we have to describe women like that, like Mm -hmm. ice queen and ball busting and things Mm -hmm. like that, that we don't have that same kind of terminology to imply that like men are too big for their britches and should stick to their knitting and things like that. It it doesn't, they're right. just like, it doesn't happen to that same degree. But to return the conversation to Pulaski, um, we <laughs> talked about this in our Pulaski episode, that one of the major differences between the Pulaski data relationship and the bone Spock relationship is that uh, Spock could give it back, right? Mm-hmm. He, he was sassy. He understood that Bones was, quote, just picking on him. Right. Whereas with Data, it was really punching down. Right. Pulaski was punching down to Data. Data didn't respond. But also Pulaski wasn't coming from a place of poking fun. She was truly just not getting Camaraderie. So the intent's a little bit different and the response was a little bit different. But regardless of that relationship dynamic that the both of them had, they're very, very similar characters and the other complaints you hear people have about Pulaski, you never hear about McCoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another um, comment, a couple commenters on our Facebook page actually also compared Pulaski to Odo, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, like Annika said that she thought that that comparison had gendered nature, even if you you know take aside the whole McCoy situation, that she said Odo is a forwarded leeway and even respect for things that Pulaski is raked across the coals for. And certainly he is way grumpier than Pulaski. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. It's like the first word you use to describe him. <laughs> Curmudgeon, for sure. Yeah. I named my cat Odo partly just because he looked so grumpy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and see, in Odo, it's endearing. Yeah. Yes. And in Pulaski, it's rude. But I think that's uh, that is part of the 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 gender disparity because oh, for sure. well you brought up the the um uh, house before yeah who is um I had a bit of a crush on house he's kind of he comes he ends up being charming and lovable <laughs> despite the fact that he's a 
total jerk. Yeah. Like really, really bad. Um, yeah. and shouldn't, you, you really shouldn't see him that way. And yet you do. I mean, okay, there's probably something to do with the writing in there, but you know, a woman who behaved like that would be written off. Whereas yeah. he then becomes, powerful and the um, one woman we did have charming. on house who was like that was literally known as cutthroat bitch so yes yeah <laughs> let us never forget yes mm. yeah and i mean she also ended up being basically punished yep yeah yep. and that's like i uh that the redemption narrative thing came a lot up a lot in articles about this idea yeah that uh for example, Black Widow would be another one that if Black Widow didn't regret killing people, yeah, then would we feel the same way about allowing her to be like on the same team as Captain America? But um, Diablo Cody had a good uh, quote saying, we think of women as a safe haven in some ways. It's something that goes very deep. And then when that warmth isn't there, it's jarring. And she personally thinks that it's not really fair that women need to have a redemption arc to be considered interesting. So, I mean, I think Roe would be an example of someone that could have been more unlikable if she hadn't had a redemption arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because she did, people like that grew on people in addition to great acting and stuff. But, you know, there's, uh, so Diablo Cody wrote the, uh, movie, uh, Young Adult with Charlize Theron. Mm-hmm. And that one yeah. is one where she, the character was, criticized heavily by critics for being totally unlikable but at the same time the same year sideways came out that character is essentially the same like an immature uh alcoholic who's trying to break up someone else's relationship but he's a guy but that's like a critical critically acclaimed movie and that like people weren't writing about how unlikable the guy was so this idea that they were just people weren't listening yeah, like the woman either needs to be a tragic figure and be punished for her sins or to be redeemed at the end of the thing for us to like accept the fact that she exhibited these not socially acceptable behaviors. Mm-hmm. So how do we think that Keiko fits into this whole thing? Because I think like Pulaski is a clearer example, but... Um... <gasps> Keiko, Keiko, Keiko. Keiko, there are so many different ways that even just our commenters described how they saw Keiko. Yeah. Or or how they thought that others saw Ke- saw Keiko. But I think the the most common was that she was a ball buster. <laughs> right? Again, the very worst thing to be, apparently. Yeah, I've seen a lot about how she was like really like pulling Miles down kind of idea. Mm-hmm. That she would never let him have any fun. She was always trying to make him eat crappy food and That was weird. That was weird. Why why isn't he just cooking his own food? <laughs> Although I guess he does and he eats terribly sometimes. And he but he it, like it's established on six nine he can't clean the house basically when she she doesn't clean when she's not there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like very kind of stereotypical sitcom family stuff that happens with them that I really dislike, but I don't think it's about her necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a really interesting article on our blog actually. Um and uh, by Michelle, who did sort of a linguistics analysis of the dialogue between Miles and Keiko and talked about, like, who's actually being more aggressive or, like, conflict-oriented. and found that it was actually pretty even. But I think there is this perception that, like, Keiko is kind of instigating fights. And um, she's also... I mean, there are times that she's... Both of them, like, they aren't very good communicators with each other. They um, don't you know, really say what's wrong when they feel that something's wrong. It's like always this kind of weird game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, people see her as like kind of like shrill and like, oh, poor Miles to be saddled with her, which is kind of awful. Saddled rather than chose as a life partner. <laughs> but do you think some of that um, is uh, because your affection for O'Brien is is meant to to outweigh your affection for her because he's part of the core, you know what yeah. I mean? But he's kind of terrible. So, but but like if you were looking at a normal, I mean, they could be forgive me, I don't have an awful lot of experience, you know, dissecting their relationship, but if they're like a normal relationship that can be at times strained, but you've mm-hmm. been conditioned 
from back in TNG to see O'Brien as a sympathetic character, aren't you predisposed to dislike her? Yeah, I think that that would make sense. Because like, you certainly, even though he's not a major character, you you know him a lot better than you know her, and you only get to meet her in Data's Day, and right away it's conflict between them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, because that's why she, otherwise, if there wasn't going to be any conflict or any point to her being there, she probably wouldn't have been written into that episode. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. I mean, so this- we got a... Oh, sorry, go ahead. We got a comment from Ariel on Keiko, and she wrote, I think there's a lot to unpack with the Keiko hate. I'm in a DS9 group, and a lot of guys like to joke about what a ballbuster she is. Sure, the writers could have done better, but I find her reactions pretty reasonable. She has to deal with a lot of shit, including sacrificing her own career for her husband's, and having a husband who would rather play in the holosuite than spend time with his newborn child. I haven't watched TNG, so maybe she's terrible on there, but on DS9, she acts like a reasonable person would to unreasonable circumstances. Yeah, usually her being kind of nasty is in response to Chief O'Brien being kind of a giant baby. Yeah. Don't forget, he didn't he like threaten her when he was being taken over by those people? Yeah, that is that a episode scary of TNG? moment. God, yeah. That, that probably is hard to forget as well. Yeah, I actually <laughs> Poor Keiko. was I was saying like that was a moment that shouldn't have been that easily forgiven, like and forgotten mm-hmm. that you would just think like, yeah, sure, he's taken over by an alien, but you don't just forget someone threatening you like you like that who looks yeah. like your husband. Not to mention the time that she got turned into an actual child. Yeah. So she she has had to deal with a lot of crap. Well, and the one where she's possessed <laughs> by the paw wraith. And, mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, gosh. she goes through a lot. And, I mean, when uh, Grace and I were talking to Iris Stephen Barrett, STLV, he, he said, like, right out, he thinks that they failed Keiko. And I wouldn't disagree. Like, I am not saying that they did the best job with we Keiko they ever could have done. We didn't argue with him. We certainly did <laughs> <not>. <laughs> He said, like, they just kind of, like, left kind of didn't have any great ideas and then didn't take the time to really think for any good ideas after Mm -hmm. like that first season but it's challenging and actually the other thing i don't know how much this plays in with keiko but i did just want to raise that reading a lot of the articles about like the idea of unlikable women in literature and stuff that um it was raised like by the way almost all the unlikable women we have seen succeed in literature and media especially since then are like white upper middle class straight women Mm. so that like all of those things it's like gives you more permission so you have like the more marginalized you are the less permission you have to be like exhibit these quote-unquote unlikable traits because you have to earn your space in the story you have to earn that by having everyone be comfortable with you there yeah, and if you're going to go into it being uh, uh, challenging those societal norms in addition, then... Then what's even the point for these poor, poor people who want it to be simple? Yeah, there's even more of this, like, you need to know your place if you aren't yes. part of the dominant group. Yeah. So I think, like, that has gotten better in media for white, straight, middle-upper-class women, um, yeah. but <laughs> it's still a little behind. But yeah, we're going mean, to we're gonna talk about some examples um, a little bit later. But yeah, anything else on Keiko? Should we talk about some of the other examples that people raised? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Sue, do you want to throw out a Facebook comment from someone else? Well, I actually was just thinking, I'm going to throw you off for a little bit. Sure. Um, I did not put her on the list, but I think I only recently discovered that a lot of people found Balana unlikable. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. No idea. That's funny, because I wouldn't have thought that either. I know, I've had guys refer to Balana as uh, the Meg Griffin of Voyager, and it's like, what? What? They both have brown bobs, but they're like, no, just she can't do anything right, and she's what? whiny. It's like, what are you talking about? She's always engineering mad, cool things. Yeah. Right? I think they just take her as um antagonistic woman who's standoffish, and from that they take whiny. Mm. You know, it's really funny because she's one of the women in Star Trek that I identify with the most because I, I went to school for engineering and I, and, you know, it's a very male dominated, mm-hmm. uh, discipline and I, I, I really identified with her. So maybe that's why I wouldn't, that's why it's a surprise to me that she's unlikable because I mostly think I'm likable. <laughs> but I wonder with with Bolana if there's not a degree of racism to it as well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we can also bring that up with Keiko, definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think especially with Bolana, we have a basically a black woman who is struggling with 
her anger, her Klingon side all the time. So how many people are looking at her and seeing the stereotype of the angry black woman? I, I, I mean, that is an interesting question. I don't know that answer to that. I think that in the show, um, like when they show her father, which isn't, and like her cousins, that they're supposed to be, uh, Latinx, Latino, um, Mm. but, um, uh, and I think that the actress, the way that the makeup is done, like really lightens her, which is a whole other issue. Um, so right. I'm not they sure that she made her half Klingon in order to soften again yeah. the Klingon look. But yeah, I mean, it certainly it would be interesting to hear from more people on that because that's also something I hadn't heard a ton of. But I'm not shocked. I mean, certainly when we're talking about those types of like traits that aren't really considered like feminine and comfortable, she has all of those, especially going in without a ton of reason talked about as to why she's like that until later on. Mm-hmm. Well, for one thing, she shouldn't need a reason. I mean, that's part of what we were talking about earlier, the fact that uh, women who are unlikable should be allowed to just, you know, be as they are rather than having to need some wider reason behind it. And part of, and part of I think, why um, at least some of us really like Bellana is because that's just how she is. That's just how she rules. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you say that because one of the... Uh, referring back to the BuzzFeed article that we were talking about um, a few minutes ago, uh, there's a there's a comment in there about how Roger Ebert, um, here's the quote, it says, in his review, Roger Ebert lauds young adult screenwriter Diablo Cody for making Mavis an alcoholic because, according to him, without such a context, Mavis would simply be insane. Mm. Ebert and many others require an explanation for Mavis's behavior. And I and I do think that's true in a lot of cases. There has to be a reason. It's not just because that's just the way they are. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's a challenging thing to do. And the thing is that we're not saying, like, we should only have characters that are, like, amoral and um, <laughs> angry and whatever, but that you should have the same range of characters in all genders. Absolutely. Yeah, well, well, you can argue that um, that the class of unlikable women is underrepresented in media, TV and film, and possibly even in real life. Um, there are probably other underrepresented minorities who probably need a bit more attention first, but it's it falls all under the same umbrella that we need more diversity, not just racial diversity, but diversity of the types of people, types of characters in our media to reflect the sort of broad society that we live in. Like, if we look at some of the men that are sort of universally disliked um, or or considered unlikable in a different way on Star Trek, you would consider probably people like Jellicoe. But people don't talk about him in the same, like, oh, it's he's so awful, I can never watch an episode with him in it because he was so awful. Like, they are not disdained disdain the same way. Yeah. No, it's it's in a way just like admiration for what a, char- a neat character that was. Yeah. Well, he's also presented as a villain. Yeah. And even some of our like women villains don't really get to, <laughs> to be really like that. They have to have like a reason why they were like that. Like um, what's her face from the crystalline entity thing or Admiral Satie. Like they sort of get a backstory that explains a bit why they are like they are. Mm-hmm. Which isn't a bad thing. It's just a like a note that it's easier for us to accept if we can rationalize. Oh well, it's just an exception. Yeah, there's a reason. There's a reason for her being the way she is. Like, um, it's a it's an excuse, and it's like we're uncomfortable accepting that sometimes people just are that way. That sometimes people just are brusque and rude and uh, don't care about being polite all the time. Well, I feel like they did this to Tasha too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And right. I don't know if the backstory that they gave her was always planned, the little bit of mm-hmm. the one that we get. But I do feel like they were very much trying to explain slash excuse her yeah. masculine traits, her assertiveness and her strength, even like her physical strength. And that happens with Kira as well, actually. Mm-hmm. When did we start learning about those traits? Because... um Tashiar didn't last that long in, no. in TNG, and I and she actually mentioned some of it in the second episode in the Naked yeah. Now. Well, and even in the first episode, she's at the the court and talking about like the people. You know, I lived on a planet like this kind of thing. So that starts, and the second one 
furthers and then there's like code of honor where she's all hand hand mm-hmm. combating and like showing <sighs> yeah. the people how to do martial arts mm-hmm. it's a little disappointing that we that you get that backstory so early on i would have liked to see that yeah. I, well they probably missed an opportunity by just letting her be the badass that she was <laughs> they showed a lot of cards early with her yeah. Well, they had to, didn't they? They didn't have long. They didn't Aww. have very long. But Aww. yeah, there was a, a Facebook comment from Carrie who said, I know a lot of people who thought Tasha Yar was unlikable. I've even heard stories about people cheering when she died. The reasons I've heard for people not liking her is that she was too masculine, too bossy, too annoying, etc. These are sexist reasons to not like her, and that's pretty unfair. Yep. It's funny that you say that, actually, because one of the other articles that I came across today um, is actually posted on multiple places. It's called the 10 Habits of Unlikable People, and it's uh, by somebody called Travis Bradbury, who I don't know who that is. And so it's a man who's written it, and it's the, the article is gender neutral. It's referring to men as well as women. But as I was reading through it, um, what I found interesting was a lot of um, his 10 habits of unlikable people are things that are um, very often attributed to women only. Um, things like um, emotional hijacking, um, not asking enough questions, being too serious, gossiping, sharing too much. These are all things that he identifies as making things making people unlikable. And as I was reading it, these are these are things that people, it's not common to talk about men as gossiping too much. Yeah. It's normally used as a as a derogatory comment against women, because, you know, we all get around the water cooler and we gossip all day. And I thought that was very interesting. Mm. Yeah, no kidding. There uh, was another interesting comment that actually Carrie made. Um, which I think is something to consider is like to look at some of the other male characters in Star Trek that are disliked and sort of compare some of the reasons why they get disliked versus like Lasky, Keiko, Vosh, mm-hmm. Shelby, yeah. etc. And so a couple that were raised, she raised Wesley Crusher. Uh, interesting. Um, <laughs> Oren also raised Neelix and said that the problem was not with the actors or the idea of the women characters, but in how the characters were designed and implemented, most of that being done by men, of course. We can see the same issue with Neelix, but for him, the discussion just doesn't have to get first get past the river of sexism. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about Wesley a bit when we've talked about Mary Sue's, because he's the closest you have to a a Gary Stew. (laughs) (laughs) Wesley Stew. I would argue that Kirk is pretty a a Gary Stew as well. Yeah. Mm. We've got a couple to choose from with Star Trek. (laughs) But the whole, like, obnoxious, like, you're too smart for your age thing does, like, that I think gets applied to women as well. Um, Mm -hmm. If it had been Leslie Crusher, it probably would have been the same. You get some people who find that irritating for that. Yeah. How dare you be a precocious child? How dare you? Yeah. I always thought that, um, because one way that Wesley and uh, Neelix are very similar is that they both, neither of them is particularly physical or, Mm -hmm. and obviously Wesley, because he's a young teenage boy, he's not particularly masculine because Mm. he's a young teenage boy. And I mean, Neelix is the chef. (laughs) So, you know, they're, are they disliked because they're not masculine enough? That's a good question. That is and a really good And the most common question. complaint that I have heard about Neelix is that he's where he shouldn't be, right? Like, what's this guy doing on the bridge in the middle of a crisis? <laughs> no, that is true. You know, why Why is he solving the problems? And that can be applied to Wesley as well. Like, why is the 16-year-old kid the smartest person on the Federation flagship? Also, they're just so insistent with Neelix that we like him. The audience loves Neelix. They want more of Neelix. No, no. <laughs> yeah, no. but I think you're right to raise that about Neelix, especially because he is kind of this like buffoon character, but he, mm-hmm. like, he's very insecure about his relationship with Kess. Um, he is not just the cook, but he's also the morale officer, so he's like in a caring role. He is not particularly good at, like, you know, you know, hand-to-hand combat like he's kind of timid in in dangerous situations so i think it's uh you know fair to point out that you know a lot of the other men that we talked about are, are as like aggressive or and things they aren't challenging masculine traits and if you look at you know unlikable men in broader media you have like fight club and you have mm-hmm. um like american psycho and it's not like people are saying these are like the way we think 
men should be, but it's like they're clearly exemplifying aspects of traditional masculinity or accepted oh, masculinity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, even if you go back to the original series, The Enemy Within, we literally see the unlikable Kirk. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the episode, um, but he needs that part of him in yeah. order to be who he is. He need he literally needs that unlikable side of him in order to be Kirk, right? Um, mm -hmm. But when does that happen to women? Yeah, good point. We do kind of get that in the episode with Balana where she's split into her human and Klingon half. But the idea of making um, all of these traits that she considers about herself negative related to her you know, race or species is kind of reductive. Mm -hmm. It is. It, it goes back to that. That's the reason that yeah. she's like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not just because for whatever reason, she just can't be bothered to deal with people. Well, if I was in her situation, I probably wouldn't want to either. <laughs> Another character who came up uh, a fair bit was to Paul, actually. Um, uh, Jody uh, said that she was a character that she hasn't liked, but have had, had likable moments. Um, but uh, we also had a message from Janet who talked about how we've talked in the past about in the sh on the show about how we felt Trip wasn't maybe the best partner in the relationship and mm, kind of yeah. like pushes her to be more Vulcan or more human. But uh, Janet said that in the Trip to Paul shipper community that it's a lot more widely accepted that like to Paul is not a good partner to him and that like she is. Um, maybe like not behaving fairly and things like that. So that was interesting. Are there any thoughts on T'Pol being like an unlikable character? Well, there is definitely a lot to go into, but I think for one thing, you can chalk up a lot of the problems with um, none of the characters really being very likable in Enterprise, <laughs> but that might just, again, that's my take on it. Um, we get a lot of really inconsistent writing to the degree where, um, oh, gosh, there's just, so much inconsistency with the characters that there's the personality we are told they have and the one that is presented to us on screen can kind of be there. There's a gap there, definitely, mm -hmm. which definitely makes it hard to like a character. I think for T'Pol, a lot of it probably comes back to the, the Vulcan-ness, right? Mm -hmm. She's supposed to be cold and logical and distant. She has a bit of disdain almost for the humans, and they don't treat her well either. So even her relationships on the show aren't friendly, yeah. I guess, is the best word mm -hmm. for it. There's yeah. nobody on the show likes her. So why should anybody in the audience like her? Fair enough. Yeah. And I mean, um, Janet also pointed out that Trip is kind of like Miles in that they're both kind of the everyman engineer. Mm -hmm. And so that mm -hmm. could be why, you know, the audience at least part of the audience wants to side with them and be more critical about their woman partner's behavior in the relationship. But I think that there's a lot of really unfair expectations placed onto Paul by characters and audience alike throughout Enterprise. And I think the idea that she would be like how you would expect an ideal human woman partner in <laughs> after never having had a relationship like that. It yeah. is pretty ridiculous. Let's just establish they're both going into that relationship looking for heartache. What is ideal anyway? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a topic for for another episode, I think. I think like in um that one of the things that's raised is the end of Harbinger. Um and like the way that T'Pol gets cold feet and when T'Pol has like started a relationship with him, but decides to leave to go back to her Vulcan arranged marriage and like that she's criticized for sort of stringing him along or um, drawing things out. But I don't know. It's like, how, how would you expect it to be otherwise? Now, forgive me because I am, uh, I've not watched Enterprise. Um, is there something around the comparison if you compared uh, to Paul and her, how people view her versus how people view Spock? Because they're in a similar position on the bridge, aren't they? And they're both mm -hmm. Vulcan. That um, was very different, yeah. Um, where is he? And and he's he's cold and he's non-emotional and all of those things. And she's very similar. Um, why why would you not like her for those things? And why? 
would you find him to be? Because a lot of people find Spock very admirable. Mm-hmm. Oh, great question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we actually had a, a good article on our blog recently. I think it was by Brianna um, asking basically that exact question and looking at how T'Pol is even more othered than Spock. And part of that you can chalk up to the, you know, the, just the time they set Enterprise and how the Vulcans weren't as integrated into Starfleet like they were by the time of the original series. Right. And the Vulcan culture is supposed to be slightly different and more isolationist at that time. But the biggest difference is that, like Grace said, like everyone on the ship kind of acts like they don't even like her. And they're constantly badgering her to be more human. And that they're never really, like, that isn't really ever checked. There's mm. numerous examples where, like, T'Pol is right about something and Archer just, like, brushes it off as, like, boring and science or just not his idea so it's not right. And then she turns out to be right and, like, no one ever acknowledges it or apologizes. Mm-hmm. Well, and just like when we were talking about Pulaski and Data, Spock gives it back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, we're told that in, in the original series that Vulcans are cold and unemotional, but one, Spock's only half Vulcan, and two, that's not what we see from him at all. Like, count up the number of times that Spock smirks or is sassy at mm-hmm. McCoy, and it's going to be a lot more than when he's just stoic. Mm-hmm. We get, like, a tiny bit of sassy to Paul, but nothing near what Spock gets, and it's just, like, she even, she wears a different uniform, there's just a lot of things that sort of separate her out from everyone else. And the um, the captain not liking her thing, we talked about that a bit in the Pulaski episode, too, about this idea that, um, or in, in The Child, which is Pulaski's first episode, like, the way that mm-hmm. she's introduced, it sounds to Picard that she's, like, drinking in 10 forward yeah. when she's actually meeting with Troy and Picard starts out not liking her and it makes it hard for us to get over that because we all respect Picard and mm-hmm. same thing with like Archer starting out not liking T'Pol. But here's an interesting uh, thing with both T'Pol and Pulaski. Would you agree that they were both respected members of those crews? They should have been. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, mostly. Um, and, and that's what I think is really important and why I want to see more unlikable women on the screen because they both had things that you would have a hard time maybe identifying with. You don't like them as a viewer. And yet, despite that, they're still protagonists. They're still an important part of the story and they're an important piece of that crew, an important piece of that team. And that is kind of something that I think we need to see more of. Yeah, absolutely. So should we um, move into talking about some examples that we have in media today and sort of ask the question that like, well, maybe in Discovery or in Star Trek yet to come, can and Mm. should we see more of these characters? Yes, please. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I would just like them to stop being considered unlikable. Yeah. Yeah. For it to to not even be a thing. Yeah. So like, who are some characters that meet that today that or some shows that show that today? Um, that we don't really use that term so much, even though, like, those are the same traits, essentially, or they're kind of anti-heroes. I think we've kind of got that going with, um, Viola Davis's character, Annalise, on how to get away with murder. She's definitely complicated, and it's one of the few situations where, like we were talking about with the house example earlier, she she can be outright nasty to people, she knows how to manipulate, she's not afraid to do it, but with her, it is treated as, yeah, but she knows exactly what she's doing, and none of us can say the same, so we've got to respect her and let her do what she do. Mm-hmm. Um, she's one of the few examples I can think of where um, her ability to think in a manipulative way and act manipulative is not treated as this huge debilitator. Mm-hmm. Sure, she has, you know, a bunch of, oh, she's got her fair share of drama, no, no fooling, but there is, um, it's not treated as nearly um, as much of a stigma as I see it done with some other women characters, specifically um, in the aspect of being intelligent and mm-hmm. smarter than a lot of the men around her. Yeah, that's a really good example. That's important. And um, I mean, I think that um, I'm, I have not really watched Scandal, but I think Scandal has some other examples. If we're looking at the Shonda Rhimes oeuvre of like mm-hmm. unlikable women, especially women of color, um, oh, there, there's been some work there. 
uh, by Shonda Rhimes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Jessica Jones also comes to mind. Oh, most yes. definitely. I was thinking about her, um, though, because um, we learn... And I can't, oh, it's been too long since I watched it. I can't remember when exactly we learn about her. Um, it was a sexual assault by the purple man, wasn't it, in her mm-hmm. past. Yeah. And I can't mm-hmm. remember now whether she was like she is before or whether that was because of. It's sort of, it, in the comics, it's a lot more clear that it's because of, mm-hmm. because you see her like flashbacks to her days as a superhero. Yeah. Um, in the comics and she's like all happy and her superhero name is Jewel and she has like this spandex bodysuit but it seems like it's after the assault that she became like kind of dark and gritty yeah. so it doesn't meet that test on that yeah. front of things and she also has a little bit like she definitely has at least a partial redemption arc yeah. mm-hmm. but uh, I I think that still like She's an example of how media's changed. I would say a comedy example would be Veep. And we do have some more like women like that now in comedy mm-hmm. that are, you know, comedic anti-heroes who, um, you know, maybe in case of Veep, not super competent, <laughs> um, not super nice. Um, but, um, I don't think that that is like perpetuating sexist stereotypes because it's like part of this broader cast. Mm. So that would be one I'd throw in there. I mean, another one is Game of Thrones. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's quite a few <laughs> unlikable women in Game of Thrones. It was funny because... Uh, also men? Yeah, I, I, I saw your note on Game of Thrones and I thought, God, because the first one that springs to mind, obviously, is Cersei Lannister. I mean, she's... Yeah. Um, I, and it's it's funny because I at first I went, yeah, but she's a villain. And I went, well, it, it, she, she's not really that much more of a villain than anybody else is. What I find it really interesting about Cersei Lannister is that I desperately want her to be redeemed. And that's that, that in my brain started me thinking about why is it? Because, um, I will try not to do any spoilers, but in, in the last episode of the last season, there's a moment where you think, oh my God, look at her. She's going to be good. And that doesn't exactly happen. Um, and I was <laughs> devastated because I really wanted her to turn out to be kind of okay. And it's interesting that that made me start thinking about, yeah, but why Why do I want her to, why can't she just be that way? Why can't she just be rude and ruthless and all of those things and just let her be? Yeah, I think um, that uh, Sansa is another example. Uh, obviously, some awful stuff's happened to Sansa, but she was considered un- like a spoiled brat before that stuff happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's some people who are not huge fans, um, but a lot of people are super huge fans um, because she's really complicated and same with a lot of the other women like Cersei and other women on Game of Thrones. Um, So this might sound weird, but Mm -hmm. I think that Leslie Nope is supposed to be unlikable, not to the audience, but in her town. I think that's definitely a point there. I think we're supposed to, from the get-go, see her as, like, unrealistically optimistic and kind of a bubblehead. But we even deal with her throughout, like, the storyline of the show, of having trouble getting her work done or getting elected because she's seen as bossy or bitchy or yeah. overambitious. Mm-hmm. And it's a, something that we see the character struggle with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Orange is the New Black, Grace. Did you want to talk about that at all? I would love to, because... I think it's very telling that um, with a character like Piper, who's our lead for some goddamn reason, because <laughs> apparently with all these fleshed out, non-white, non-straight, well, not, I guess she's bisexual, but they ne- but you can't use the B word, um, not on TV, um, with all of these really interesting characters, she's one of the least interesting, and she is very clearly very privileged and not of all of the characters she is easily the one that you are least likely to have be your favorite character but she's our lead and that is in and of itself very annoying and very telling also um well i think that part of that is because uh, it was based on her on Piper, what's her face's uh, true story? Herman, yeah. yeah. Also, um, read her book and you won't like her very much either. Well, I I think it's quite yeah, I think it's quite interesting that she's um they, she's unabashedly unlikable nowadays. Mm-hmm. But it was funny that even from the start, the people were very much just like, I hate this character. She's the worst. Kill her off the show, kind of thing. And this is a really interesting example. I think it was Lindsay Ellis who brought it up. That's like compare the hatred. Uh, 
for Piper mm-hmm. and why is she the main character? Get rid of her as the main character versus like a classical literary character like Humbert Humbert in Lolita mm-hmm. who is a kidnapping, murdering pedophile, but we just kind of accept, but he's the main character yeah. and that makes him sympathetic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't have a female equivalent of that and that is so telling. And the fact that we at least have a character where now they're going out of their way to be like, she's our lead, but we're going to have her do some messed up stuff and make her be, you know, not someone you like. And that will be at least acceptable. It's not great. It's flawed, but it is sort of a step in the right direction. Well, I kind of like Orange is the New Black for the, for the fact that like literally everyone is unlikable. I mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of them, they have their own quirks and in a way, as a viewer, you may kind of like some of them um but they're generally entertaining speaking, to watch definitely they're, they're literally all criminals yeah. you're not they're not supposed to be likable um and i love the way that the the writers on that show play with the audience by taking the white woman who's supposed to be privileged white woman and really screwing with you she's she's been one of the worst behaved people um in in a couple of (laughs) a couple of episodes um and and i love what they're doing with that i love what they're doing with that because it's it's important i feel that those women are i feel that those women are real and even though you might not look up to any of them maybe there's a lot to identify with and there's a lot to come away feeling i'm not quite on my own Mm -hmm. yeah i'll take a complicated woman over a a woman who is very clearly someone who the writers bent over backwards to make sure that she was likable and inoffensive. Mm. Yeah. I think there's some examples in Orphan Black, too. And particularly, I was thinking of Rachel Duncan. I mean, she does have mm-hmm. a backstory that at least partly explains why she is like she is. Um, and Which uh, one's Rachel? Uh, she's the like corporate one that was raised. Oh, yeah, with the little Bob. <laughs> Yeah, yes. I'm trying to remember all that. I can only remember them by hair. <laughs> yeah, she is super like cold and mm. uh, calculating, and um, I won't give any spoilers away. Um, so like, she doesn't totally fit with her definition um, in that she has a backstory and at least like flirts with redemption. Um, but uh, certainly, like for a very long time in the show, is just like super cold and uh, mm-hmm. and uh like the sort of the epitome of like that ball busting manager that we were kind of talking about before mm-hmm. um but i think that she's really interesting and there's also other characters in that show that are kind of like irritating like you would not want to be friends with them and this was something that kept coming up in the in these articles was this quote from the author claire masood about like does anyone ask if you would want to be friends with hamlet or if you'd want to be friends with humbert humbert and like why do we keep asking if you should want to be friends with these women characters like i wouldn't want to be friends with pretty much most of the clones except for maybe kasima in orphan black yeah but she's got to get rid of the dreads yeah that's fine um I would say that most of the clones are unlikable. Yeah. And in the one way or another, like, Allison is, like, sort of highly obnoxious (laughs) soccer mom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have, uh, I would say that the the one that I would consider, like, not super positive unlikable, although I really enjoyed her, is Crystal, who's, like, the ditzy blonde. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's because I'd say she's, like, the most of a caricature of any of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's still hilarious, and it was just kind of, like, fun watching that character. But that's the only one that I would say, like, you know, these characters can be good characters because they can be more, more, they can have more depth. But if you're just going to make someone, like, a dumb blonde that people don't like because they're Mm -hmm. a stereotype, then that's different. Yeah. So we have a comment from Deirdre that kind of fits in with this. And she writes, Spock is emotionless and calculating, Kirk is a playboy, Picard is a bit of a tight ass, but all of that adds to their likability. It's almost like if a woman isn't polite and smiling and spewing rainbows all the time, she's hated for it. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's getting better. I would hope that we were going to see a little bit more range of women characters going forward in Discovery. Mm -hmm. Not willing. (laughs) Yes, I hope so. Should we go around and do a round of final thoughts? Yeah. Okay, can I start with you, Grace? Do you have any final thoughts? I said it before and I'll say it again. I will take a complicated woman over a woman who is two-dimensional just so that I'll like her any day of the week. Both as a character and, you know, as a person, really. Mm-hmm. 
Sue? I would say if there is a character that you immediately think of as somebody you hate, when we say unlikable women, go back and give that character a second chance. Because sometimes when you're older or you have more perspective on a situation, it will totally change how you see them. And you will find them totally reasonable. Totally. Um, and Kenna? Um, I think on the whole, I do think that generally speaking, the, the film and TV industry is moving towards um, a better representation of a quote unquote unlikable women. I think we still have a long way to go and I'm hopeful about the future and I'm going to try and go out of my way actually to, um, you know, to pay money to see uh, these portrayals because I think that well, we've struggled with it in this discussion about what is it that that qualifies as the unlikable woman. And um, I think there's it can feed into a lot of things that are other issues uh, in feminism, like the gender pay gap and, um, you know, just societal roles in terms of, you know, parental roles and God, uh, fashion and all, all sorts of things. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll be able to kind of open it up and have a, a bit more of a discussion. And I hope Star Trek is part of that. So people start talking about Star Trek in similar, uh, critical veins as they talk about Game of Thrones or, um, Orange is the New Black, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I have a hard time believing that, like, we could have seen, um, a, uh, mom on Star Trek treat their kid the way that Worf treats Alexander the whole way <laughs> yeah, through. Yeah, no um, kidding. And still, like, remain a favorite character. Do you think that Discovery being on a paid platform and basically being content you have to pay for, like, in a way, like Game of Thrones is on HBO or Westworld is on, what, Stars, mm-hmm. that simply by being behind a paywall of some kind it will make critics and reviewers take the show more seriously than they have taken other Star Trek franchises or series in the past. I'm not sure. I think it ends up, I think it will depend on how big the audience ends up being. And right now that, I mean, this is a common thing that I complain about on Priority One all the time, that CBS mm-hmm. All Access is a small platform. Mm-hmm. And if they're not getting the viewer numbers that some of the bigger shows are getting, I don't think critics will take it seriously because uh, it's not a, it's not a big enough fish. You know, I think from the cast that we're aware of, I don't think any of those women are going to fall into this category that we have sort of laid out in the way that we've laid it out. I don't think that like Laurel, the Klingon woman is going to be considered like unlikable in that way because we're like, she'll be displaced onto the whole like Klingon side of things. Mm-hmm. I definitely don't think we're going to see that from Georgie or Michael Burnham. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to be awesome, um, mm-hmm. but maybe something that could be developed as the show goes on. I'm so um, I was also just going to say that I think one way to help with this is to have more women in the writer's room. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. um, especially when uh, writers are trying to create and flesh out women villains and uh, women who are less conventionally likable, it can help to avoid, like, you, I guess just, like, question, like, how do you, you know, why do you need a redemption arc? Or mm-hmm. would that woman behave like that? Or is that just kind of, like, a stereotype? Um, so that's also just something I think we need going forward. It, it's interesting you said that, because that was one of the things that I'd written down that I didn't quite come to, was um, you were asking uh, whether... Uh, characters have to be likable in, in order to succeed. And I think as a, as in the character in universe, eh, probably not, but as a character on screen, like as an audience is viewing, it's really hard to succeed unless you have really committed writers who are like, no, she's unlikable, just leave her. Because mm-hmm. otherwise they would be so easily uh, bow to pressure to give her that backstory that explains her gruffness or give her okay, people are sick of her being so mean, we'll give her a redemption arc so she can not be mean anymore. Um, You have to have committed writers. I think you're right about that in the writer's room. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, we're heading to the end of our time. So uh, let's do the outros. Uh, Kenna, 
Thanks so much for joining us today. It's awesome to have you on from our sister podcast, Priority One. Where can people find Priority One and you elsewhere on the internet? Okay, well, first of all, I just want to say a big thank you to all of you for having me on. I'm such a huge fan of Women at Warp, um, and I'm really excited about the stuff that you guys do. Oh, Priority you. One, the, the the best place to find us, you can go to PriorityOnePodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. And we're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. Uh, me in particular, I'm on Twitter at AdAstra1930. Um, but you can also d- d- go to PriorityOnePodcast.com. Everything's on there, including all of our episodes and blogs and contact information, etc. Um, we're actually, we actually, unlike you guys, we are going to be talking about discovery. So we, we normally do like news and current events, that sort of thing. We're, we're actually switching our, our, uh, our publishing day to a Friday. So we'll be able to get a little more information about discovery. And that's starting, uh, next week. We're coming out on Fridays. So a little bit of a change and, uh, should be fun. Great. And Grace, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank and on the streets of Seattle, fighting crimes and spitting rhymes. <laughs> and Sue? I'm on the tweets at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And I'm on Tumblr at TrekkieFeminist.tumblr.com and on Twitter at Jarrah Penguin. And if you would like to contact our show, you can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. You can also leave comments on our website, womenatwarp.com, or our Facebook, or our Twitter. Twitter at Women at Warp, um, or through wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so thanks so much for joining us. <laughs>